They've got a brand new stadium, a big one, and they're going to put a big flag out there in a moment because the Eagle has landed for the Premiers. There's a new dynasty in the NBA. The Golden State Warriors champions once again. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Desk here on your Wednesday shift. Uh, I am Tom. I'm joined with April and Kendra. How are we today? Very good. Very good. How are you, Kendra? Yeah, very good. It's been a good weekend of sports. So excited to talk about it. Yeah, it's been an interesting week of sport. I know for Cartland, at least, it wasn't the, the best. Uh, but speaking of that, I guess we'll jump into the round seven results for the footy this week. So we had... Collingwood beating the Cats by 22 points. The Bulldogs beating the Bombers, unfortunately for you, April, by 42. Knocked you out of the eight as well. Ugh, I know. Really rubbing salt in the wound, that. Right, I can't talk, but yeah. Uh, Brisbane beating the Giants by 20 points. The Suns knocking off the Swans by 32 points. Richmond smashing the Kangas by 54. Carlton losing to Port by three points. Still hurts saying it. Uh, the Demons losing to Hawthorne. Oh, sorry. The Demons beating Hawthorne by 43 points. Uh, the Eagles beat Frio in the Western Derby by 30 points. And the Saints beat the Winless Crows for their first ever win at Adelaide Oval by 23 points. Not a bad round of footy. Bad for us, April. Uh, yeah. Just a shocking. It's a bit of a rough us. one. Um I think the the Port Carlton game is one that I do want to talk about, even though you might not want to, Tom. But, um, of course, we saw Port get the win with a goal after the siren, uh, which secures their place on top of the ladder. Um, so a very good win for them to get. Um, I just watched the end of this game, which was it was a very exciting finish and a, a heartbreaking one for the Carlton fans. It just sucks because we had, you know, we had the lead. We were up the whole quarter. We had the possession to hold the ball with, you know, a minute to go and we sort of give it up and we don't do anything with it to hold the ball. And I mean, if we're going to lose, at least we lost on an incredible kick from Robbie Gray on the boundary line. You know, we didn't lose to a mark in the goal square or a crappy umpire call. It was a, you know, a really good goal. And but as a Carlton supporter, it's nice to actually be competitive against the top teams and do, do well. So that was nice. Still hurts, but it's, it's, it's progress anyway. Yeah, I'm like April. I just watched the last goal. And even though Carlton didn't make it into the top eight, I think they've had a really good season. And it's definitely good for the team. So, yeah, it was really good to watch, even though they lost. I actually think we have the, um, one of the easiest schedules for the rest of the season as well. Because we, we currently haven't played the bottom six teams yet. So that could work in our favour or knowing us, we could lose all of them and end up on the bottom again. Well, Carlton, you're currently sitting in 11th, one spot behind the Bombers. Um, you're on 12 points, Essendon's on 16. So as we said, like this season with the less games, it's a really close ladder. So um, just one win and one loss will make a big difference to where you are on the, on the ladder. So it'll be easy for Carlton to jump back up if they do get some good wins to end the season on. Yeah, it would be very nice. Getting in the eight would be ideal, but even then it'd just be nice to be close and be contending for the eight. Something very different to what we've been seeing the last couple of years from Carlton. 
Turn up your radio. This is Sin. Um, another game that I wanted to touch on was the Hawthorne match because, of course, we saw Hawthorne have another very disappointing game after a big loss last week as well. Um, they went down 91-48 to 48 to Melbourne and really just didn't, didn't put in much of a performance at all. I'm not sure if you guys saw this game, but they just sort of didn't turn up for a lot of the match. Yeah, Hawthorne are in shambles at the moment. You don't, I don't know what, what's going on with them. You have a lot of talk about whether they're going to go for a full rebuild or do they draft a couple of players? Do they try and recruit some players to fill some holes? It's a very interesting scenario over at Hawthorne to see what they're going to be doing for the future. Yeah, and Alistair Clarkson has come under fire for his coaching. What are your thoughts on it? Do you reckon he should part ways with the club at the end of 2022, which is what the president of Hawthorne sort of suggested? It's hard for someone like Clarko, who's so well-respected and has won so many premierships. It's, it's, it's hard to see him just walking away. But you have to move on eventually. And you think if it's not working, you might want to move on. But if you have faith in him for a rebuild, and if he's prepared for a rebuild, maybe you can do it. But if he's not prepared to do that, then you might have to move on. He's been there for a very long time as well. Um, and even then, to say stepping down after 2022, that's really a pretty long way away um like a lot of coaches change around all the time and to have another two years is a long time with the team so I think a lot can happen in those years and obviously this season has been a strange one so not sure how much you can take from these results because there obviously are a lot of external excuses you can make for poor showings in games yeah I think it is a hard one. I personally think nothing really does beat experience. Like, he's coached, I think, what, four premierships. I don't think anyone can get better than that. But then, again, I do see the side that, you know, you might want a fresh start and that could be better for the team. But then I think about, like, even, like, with Richmond's coach, like, um, Damien Hardwick, like, he was coaching Richmond during the losing streak, but then they came back and have won, like, two premierships. So, I don't know. It just depends what everyone thinks about that. Again, it's hard for someone like Clarko because you know he's so good and has produced so many times. Now, do you really want to give that up or do you bring in another coach and have him as the assistant coach for two or three years under Clarko and prepare for the takeover? Something like what Collingwood did with Buckley. He was there for a couple of years under Malthouse. If, you know, how successful Malthouse was, Buckley was there and took him over and Collingwood is still in the running for premierships at the moment. So you could have you know, stuff like that. Or you could have the flip with Melbourne at the moment and Melbourne aren't exactly the best with Goodwin under their, under their helm after, um, after, what's his name? The old Melbourne coach? Ruse? Yeah, that's it, Ruse. Paul Ruse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it. Sorry. <laughs> Had a blank. Uh, yeah, so someone like Paul Ruse, um, yeah, like who did all this foundation building and then passing over to Goodwin and he couldn't produce much at all. Yeah, I don't know too much about sort of history and evidence um, of coaching changeovers. But I do think it sort of makes sense that if um, with a club like Hawthorne, which has had a pretty long period of success over the past, however many years, um, as they sort of, if they do start to go into a rebuild phase, I think it makes sense to change the coaching then as well. Um, because like we were saying, Clarko has been there for a long time. He's going to have to leave eventually um, and it sort of makes sense to have a complete fresh start if you've got a new team as well. That makes sense, yeah. I guess it's something to, to um, look for for the rest of the season. And if, you know, if Hawthorne 
lose a couple more games and significantly miss out on finals, that's definitely going to be a talking point for Hawthorne. So after round seven, we've got Port Adelaide on top of the ladder on 24 points. We then have Brisbane in second on 20 points. Collingwood third on 18. Uh, Richmond are also on 18, Kendra. Um, Then we've got Geelong in fifth, St Kilda in sixth, Gold Coast and West Coast rounding out the top eight. A very close ladder. There's a lot of teams on 12 points and 16 points and the ladder can change really quickly, especially with the shortened season as well. So it's going to be, it's just going to be a very interesting season. So, you know, someone like Carlton's in the top eight one week and lose and they're out. Someone like Essendon in the eight, out of the eight. You know, West Coast lose next week, they'll be out of the eight. It's just going to be very, it's going to be a very tight season. And the eight currently, I can't see it staying the same at all. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days. Um, that probably leads into the next topic I wanted to discuss, which is um, the fixture that they are soon to announce, which is going to be 19 days straight of footy. Um, it's going to be 33 matches in the 19 days. And I believe it's for rounds 9 to 12 of the season um how do you think this period of really condensed matches is going to shake up the ladder i'm very excited for the uh you know hopefully a game every day over the three weeks that was just going to be so much fun and it's something to watch every night as a footy fan it's awesome but you got to think for the players hopefully they can cope with the short turnarounds and the multiple games a week Yeah, I definitely am excited being on the armchair. But for the players, we have seen a lot of soft tissue injuries come about from this season, which is probably because of the break during the virus and then the quick, short pre-season. So I definitely think we're going to see a lot more injured players, which could really test the ladder, especially for like a team like Richmond, who have a lot of injuries at the moment. What are your thoughts, guys? Yeah, on the soft tissue injuries, I know there's been some calls of potentially adding an extra player or two to the bench. And then upping the rotation. So players are getting more rest time and there's more players on the bench. So you have, you know, you can have an extra one or two to rotate and, you know, you're hopefully stopping these soft tissue injuries, especially with the shorter turnarounds. So I don't know. What do you guys think about having extra people on the bench to help with that? I think it probably makes sense, particularly for just this specific period of the season, if not the whole time. But, you know, footy players have never played in this sort of environment they've never played um not that each club is going to be playing every day of the week but they've never had this sort of short turnaround before so I think um given all the different circumstances I think it makes sense to have an extra player on because we don't want teams just losing because they get a bunch of injuries we want to see a good game we want to see it to be as fair as possible yeah, I agree. I think we definitely need to have an extra plan on the bench just for just giving the peace of mind to the players. Like they've got to look after themselves as well at the end of the day too. So definitely an extra player will be good. Uh, speaking of hubs, big news out of the hubs. Gary Ablett has actually returned home because his son is actually really ill. What do you guys? I don't know. What do you guys think about him returning home? I think it's really good and really nice that they've let him do that, um, especially in this sort of circumstance as well. Yeah, I think he needed to return home. I think that's really good that he got that, pri- like his priorities right, that, you know, family does come first. And I saw the photo on Instagram. I'm not sure if you guys saw it, but I almost started crying. Like it was like a post of him 
with his son and like his wife saying like we missed you I thought it was really quite like I know I got a bit emotional but yeah yeah definitely needed to return home yeah I think this year more than any has really emphasized how much things outside of footy are important um and I'm glad that um as you were saying that Geelong has let him go let him go back home to where he needs to be um not sure whether there are any plans for him to return at some point and play some games, but um, I think it's good that family comes first. And obviously as a, sen- a senior player, um, he probably has more ability to know that he can return home and not lose his spot in the team compared to a younger player. Um, but either way, I think most players, if they want to prioritise their family over footy at the moment, I think that's totally okay. Is this the last time we've seen Gaza as well? There's a lot of speculation. This is going to be his last year. And with no return date for Gary at all at the moment, you know, have we just seen the last of one of the greatest of all time? It's crazy to think about. Um, It's, it's always, it's a bit sad if you don't get a proper send off game, I think. Um, I'd hope perhaps that, I don't know if he could do this, but if he did decide that this was going to be it, he could just return for one game. Maybe they sub him on for five minutes and so we can all say goodbye properly. Could probably do that. You could probably send him up for one game and play the last game of the season or come back for one of the finals games or something. On FM, on DAB Plus and streaming online at sin.org.au. This is Sin. Where young people run the show. Now to some tennis. Australians are still reluctant to travel to New York for the US Open and some have even turned to Twitter to vent their frustrations. Guys, what do you think of this? I think this is going to be one of those conversations that's going to keep popping up everywhere because for such a it's like you know such a massive event in the tennis world, the first major tournament for the well not for the year, we had the Oz Open earlier, but you know the first major tournament after everything that's happened. So it's just it's going to be something that everyone's going to be speculating until it actually comes around. We don't know whether players are going to commit or not. There are so many players affected by this and so many players that, you know, are very concerned about going to the U S open as well. So it's something that is just going to keep popping up and we're going to find out more and more about it. And all these players, you know, whether they're going to commit to the tournament or not as well. Hmm. The U S open is meant to kick off on the 31st of August Um, And then we'll basically go for the first two weeks of September. Um, It's still a month away, but a month really isn't very far considering um, there's tens of thousands of cases every day still um, popping up in the US. So it's understandable that a lot of the players are feeling very uneasy about whether to go or not. Um, And yeah, as yet, no Australians have committed to going and, um, Alexi Popperin is one who has already confirmed he will not go. He's currently based in Europe is, and is just going to focus on Europe tournaments. Um, so it's it's definitely a tough one for all the players. And then you have players like Sam Stozer as well. Like her and her partner have just welcomed a baby into their family. So you've got to think that plays on your decision as well. You have family back here. You don't want to go over and jeopardise their health as well. So that's got to be something to look look out for and then you have Aussies like Priscilla Hon tweeting that she really really wants to beat the US Open but she's concerned because you know the US is still getting 60,000 cases today and she's just wondering why it's still going ahead and even players like John Millman have called out the tournament for still going ahead they, they want it to be cancelled you know what do you guys think of players you know coming together and maybe wanting the, the tournament to be cancelled 
Yeah, I think I think that's a good thing. But if the players were to do that, because um, I feel like with America, even though they've got all these cases every day, they're pushing forward with a lot of like with everything. So I can see why like a lot of the players would be like concerned. So I think yeah, if they all rally together, they can maybe like if the tournament was cancelled or even postponed to next year, it would be a better outcome for everyone rather than just risking their health. It's like we spoke about on the show last week, um, Wimbledon who have cancelled their tournament, um, announced that they're just going to split the money that they have between all the players. And so you imagine that if the US Open did end up getting cancelled, something similar like that could happen, which would um, stop the players from having to choose between their health and their income. Um, One of Australia's good female players, uh, Dasha Gavrilova, um, she commented and said that she was... She said she was happy to have the opportunity to choose whether she wanted to play or not. Um, But she said that she thinks most players would think it was a relief if the tournament was cancelled and they didn't have to make that choice. Yeah, I think some of like some of the mid-tier sort of almost higher tier players, I feel like they would be very happy to, you know, for for the tournament to be postponed or cancelled it's just not safe for anybody at the moment but then you have players that rely on being there as well not just the younger like the lower tier players some of the higher ones as well that rely on sponsorships to make their wage and if they're not playing they're not getting any of that sponsorship money either so that's got to be you know that's something that these players think about and like with Wimbledon they had the pandemic insurance I don't believe the US Open have the pandemic insurance so it'd be interesting to see if they do end up paying the players anyway also, just missing out on this tournament, I know um, the US Open, if it does go ahead, it sort of kicks off into other tournaments that will go on throughout the year. And if if it does go ahead and players choose not to play, um, I think that could weigh on their mind too, that they might be disadvantaged in terms of preparation for later ter- later tournaments that might be safe to go ahead. Sin, we're young people run the show. Now to some cricket news. Um, Australia are set to fly over to England on a private charter plane, which sounds pretty nice, um, to have a limited overs tour um, go ahead against England in September, um, which is good news for the Australian cricket team to be getting back into it. It's great. Uh, the, um, the, tour of England, the tour of England was meant to happen over in July. Um, it's nice to actually happen again now in September being pushed back. So it's going to be played from the 4th to the 15th of September, I believe. And when I say Tour of England, it's not really a Tour of England. They're only going to be playing at two stadiums. So the stadiums are the Aegeus Bowl and Old Trafford. And these grounds have been chosen because they're the only two international grounds that have hotels on the site to host both teams, match match officials and broadcasters, which is, I guess, very ideal for these players coming over as well. Uh, One thing on that too is Australia actually have a weird um, restriction going on with the UK. So currently the West Indies over there had to come over and quarantine for two weeks. But for some reason, the Aussies won't have to quarantine for two weeks, which uh, like it's good, but I don't understand why. I know, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Ooh, I, I think that everyone should probably have to follow the same rules. But then again, they're probably like taking the countries into the whole and seeing how many cases per country. So that might have something to do with it. Um, but yeah, I think everyone should have to have the same quarantine rules just for a peace of mind and also for fairness. 
Yeah, it seems like an unusual one, um, especially considering otherwise they seem to be doing everything they can to make it pretty safe. Like, obviously, the, the teams are just going to go to these hotels sort of at the ground and they're pretty much just going to be, that's where they're going to be. So they're not going to be um, too much at risk while they're over there. Um, but I am surprised about, about the quarantine. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's kind of kind of odd that we're the only country so far that's been allowed to not quarantine for two weeks, even though we do still have cases and active cases everywhere. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, but there is some bad news that has come out of this as well. Uh, so there was a meeting from the International Cricket Council on Monday that confirmed the decision to postpone the T20 World Cup that was set for October and November, which really sucks, but I guess everything happening in Melbourne at the moment, it doesn't look like it should go ahead anyway. What do you guys think about that? So this World Cup was going to be hosted in Australia. Um, it's been pushed back to 2021. So there's now going to be, or 2020, so there's now going to be um, back-to-back men's World T20 World Cups in 2021 and 2022. Um, one will be hosted by Australia and one will be hosted by India. Um, I think it obviously makes sense to be postponed. Um, I think we're, you know, we're seeing that happen to most things this year and I'm glad that it's been postponed rather than cancelled. So hopefully um, the date that they choose to push it back to, um, everything will be okay by then for it to go ahead. Yeah, and it's not like we're losing out on cricket anyway. The, um, the Indian Premier League, the IPL, was set to take, um, take part the same time in October and November, but because the World Cup has been pushed back, the IPL can now go ahead. And for those that don't know, the IPL is considered the number one T20 tournament or domestic T20 tournament in the world. Um, and, but the problem with that though, is India currently have over a million COVID cases. So I think, I believe they're moving the tournament to the UAE, similar to what the UFC have done and done their fight island in Saudi Arabia, I think it was. And they're moving the tournament to the UAE to get out of the, the India hub, I guess. I, I guess it's um, similar to, in a way, to what the AFL is doing here, that we're moving things interstate. Obviously, we don't have the opportunity to move things to another country here, but that makes sense. That's what um, a place like India would do. Um, and definitely good to have that back because the IPL is obviously massive. Um, and for the players and for the fans and for everyone involved, I'm sure they'll be happy to have it going ahead. So hopefully that all goes smoothly. Turn up your radio. This is Sin. All right, guys, moving on to the A-League results now. Did you guys watch it on the weekend? Sort of, yeah. It's, it's an odd one because the, it's the, for the first time in A-League history, it's, I think it's competing with the other major sports in Australia in rugby and uh, football. So it's on not the best times anymore, but it is good to have it finally back. Um, what do you think about that, April? Like, you know, would, would you watch it? in comparison to football or how do you see Yeah, well, well, I haven't watched any so far, um, to be honest. Um, oh, I think there was the one match, because I haven't got Foxtel, so um, I can't watch any of the games that are only on Foxtel. Um, but regardless, also, because the Victorian teams aren't playing yet, um, there's probably not a huge amount of interest for me. Um, perhaps once they get into it, then I'll try catch some games. Um, but we've only had three games back, which have all been between the teams from the other states. Um, so we'll go through those results now. We had a game on Friday night between Sydney FC and Wellington. 
Uh, Sydney got up 3-1 over Wellington in that game. On Saturday, Perth beat Central Coast Mariners 1-0. And then on Sunday night, we had Adelaide beat Brisbane 1-0. Um, did you watch any of these games in particular, Tom? Um, I watched a bit of the Sydney-Wellington game as the first game back. There was a bit of controversy on the last goal there. A uh, bit of a late goal from Sydney. I know a lot of a lot of people weren't happy with how it ended. Didn't really matter. Sydney were dominant and won anyway. Uh, it just, I think it's the first game as well without VAR. They've scrapped it for the season, which is a very interesting because I can understand for leagues like the Premier League and stuff with you know the world's best referees and linesmen and officials. I know there has been a lot of controversy here in Australia with all the officials and referees. So it'll just be interesting to watch the, how that goes without the VAR, if that makes sense. And I'm rambling on a little bit, but yeah, it's it just, you can see there has been a difference already. It's just whether it continues or not. Yeah. That's surprising that they've taken away. I've always been um, in the camp with the VAR that the more it's used, the better it will get. Um, but I know a lot of people have been very critical of it. Um, I know I kind of think refereeing is one of those things that people will just never be happy. Um, people are always going to complain one way or the other if a decision isn't what they want. So um, whether that's through VAR or through a stand, um, referee's call, um, I'm not really sure what's better. Yeah, and, you know, with sport, there's always going to be controversy with everything. Nothing can be perfect. But yeah, so moving on with our Australian soccer talk, there is big news out of the Matilda camp as Ante Milicic has announced he is leaving the coaching position for the Australian women's soccer team and will be joining MacArthur FC as their coach instead. And in doing so, he will not be their coach for the Olympics. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so MacArthur FC are the new A-League team. Um, it's all kind of worked out not very well because um, his plan earlier in the year or last year was that Milicic was going to coach the Matildas for the Olympics. And then as soon as the Olympics finished, then his contract with MacArthur FC would start up, which is, of course, like around this time of year. Um, now with the Olympics being postponed until next year, he still had his contract with MacArthur FC set to start now. Um, so he has gone ahead with that. Um, I guess it's a pretty tough decision, uh, tough position for him to be in. And I'm not really sure legally whether he was forced to take the MacArthur position, seeing as he'd signed the contract with them. But it's pretty disappointing for the Matildas and women's soccer, I think, to lose their coach, um, ahead of the Olympics and for him not to just stick through and work something out so that he could uh, coach them at the postponed Olympics. Yeah, it does suck. It's very unfortunate for the Matildas. You know, this is the second time now they've lost a coach right before a major tournament. So it'd be very interesting to see what happens and whether they had planned for this or not. I guess it is kind of unlucky. You know, if, if, you know, if Milicic did have the contract for MacArthur FC you believe he'd have to stick that out and unfortunately because of all the olympics being of the olympics being postponed he probably had to have stood down even if he didn't want to 
but that you know brings up the question: Who's who's going to be the next coach? Are they going to bring back Alan Stajic? Stajic. Sorry, I can't pronounce his last name. Um, you know, if you if you're going to bring him back, but after all that controversy, do they even does he even want to come back? He's probably the best coach for the Matildas as we've seen, but you got to go through that process again. I'm not sure specifically of um, any, any names that they're looking at, but I know that they're looking sort of internationally um, at coaches in probably the US and the UK and stuff and um, some of the best like women's coaches from over there. So I think they've got their eye on securing some international talent for the position. Um, you'd think hopefully they'll make a decision pretty soon so that then the team can get preparing and um, the players can start building a bond with their coach so they can have the best chance at the Olympics. And then, of course, the, um, the upcoming World Cup, which is going to be held in Australia and New Zealand as well. Yeah, it'd be great. So hopefully, you know, we do find a coach soon. And I guess there's not so much pressure on the Olympics then with the new coach. You'd think that hopefully they all like the new coach, you know, they perform pretty well and then you prepare for the Olympics instead, which is something similar to what happened to the Aussie men's team a couple of years ago as well. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days. Moving on to some netball now and the Super Netball has announced it will be starting its season on August 1st. It is also moving up to Queensland following all sports eventually relocating up to Queensland. We've, of course, got all the footy players heading up there too. So it's a packed state up in Queensland for sport at the moment. It's a bit unlucky for WA losing out on all this sport as well. I know they were complaining that they wanted the netball too, the super netball. Um, you got to think, there's, there's nobody like WA. There's, there's something going on with all the behind the scenes, you know, or all these officials just upset with something WA's done. I don't know what's going on there. I don't understand why I think going to WA would be the best. I mean, it's, they've got the least amount of coronavirus, coronavirus cases, so I don't understand why. But I think some of the West, West Coast teams of netball are actually disappointed that they have to go to Queensland because they want to have a few games at a home game rather than always being on the road. Can you see their frustration? Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially because, you know, we had the footy had... Um, the huge crowd um, at Perth the other the other day. And so obviously if games are held in Western Australia, you'd be able to have crowds and everything like that. So um, there's sort of no real reason why they couldn't go there. But of course, Western Australia is kind of further away than all the other states. So see how Queensland is a bit more convenient. Um, we all know Queensland does have great sporting facilities. I'm not sure what um, WA's got in terms of netball stadiums and things. Um, but I, I guess that's probably played into their decision. Yeah, I guess and they, I guess I saw they were having all their fixtures. They're going to be playing in Brisbane, Cairns, Townsville, Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast. So it does sound very lovely to be over there playing games over in Queensland. I guess it is a very nice environment to be in. And it looks like there are a lot of places that these teams can go as well. So you've got to think, you know, does WA have the amount of um, flexibility with the different cities in, in their state? Yeah, when you think about it, Queensland is really big, but everything's more connected than WA, which is a bit more spread out. So I definitely think they're thinking of trouble as well during the season. And I just saw here as well that the state government is providing $2.2 million to help pay for the move of all these teams and staff and everybody. So that could have been also a major factor in 
them, this, yeah, the Super Netball choosing Queensland over WA. It's great news that um, a, a women's sporting league is getting some funding um, to enable its restart as well, because obviously up until now, the majority of focus has been on the AFL and then the NRL, I guess, for getting them restarted. Um, so it's great to see what is um, primarily a women's league uh, get started as well. So it's good news for the Super Netball, I think, to be getting started. Sin, where young people run the show. All right, now to the Grand Prix, which was held in Hungary. Tom, do you want to take us through it? Yes, another incredible race over in Hungary at the Hungaro Ring over in Budapest. Uh, Everyone was expecting another incredible race. And unfortunately, Lewis Hamilton led from start to finish again, overlapping almost everybody up until fourth place, I believe it was. So he just had an incredible race and was just unstoppable. And you got to think... How much, you know, how much longer can this last? You know, all these fans are out here wanting to, to watch a competitive races and then you have someone like Hamilton just coming out and overlapping almost everybody. It's just unheard of. And that Mercedes car is just incredible. So I guess moving on from that, um, Hamilton obviously finished first. Uh, then you have Verstappen second and Bottas third. So not all the Mercedes were doing well, but I guess they all did really well in the end. Um, I guess... As an outside sort of perspective for you guys, would you? I guess it doesn't. See, does it seem very interesting when one car is just overlapping almost everybody every race? Yeah, I mean, what about what is it about Lewis Hamilton that you think maybe he wins all the time? Like, what is it that he does? Does he do anything special? Because like I haven't seen the Grand Prix, but I just want to know how one person who's driving a car can lap someone who are also driving cars. I think because it, it, it's his car specifically, Mercedes have almost an unlimited budget to make their car the best car ever. Uh, so it's it's more to do... He is an incredible driver, but the car is just so much more powerful than everybody else's car. It's just an... It's not an unfair advantage, but it kind of is. Yeah, it definitely doesn't draw me to the sport um, with someone just clearly winning. I, mean, the, I watch um, Grand Prix here and there and probably particularly when it's in Melbourne um, and... You know, if ever they're stuck behind a safety car or if there's not many changes in position, I just turn it off because I'm like, well, this is, I just, I don't want to watch people driving around in laps. Like, it's just like driving on the road. Like, I could just go out and watch that. Um, so it's definitely more exciting when we're seeing a lot of changes and, you know, perhaps people don't want to see crashes, but as, as a fan, you want to see crashes every now and then and people really going for it. So Obviously, an impressive performance from Hamilton, um, but hopefully the next races get a little bit more exciting. Yeah, and everyone thought this was going to be an exciting race as well at the start of the week because it did rain almost every day. So everyone was expecting it to be a wet race and it was going to be a lot closer, a lot, a lot more crashes, a bit more exciting for everybody. And it did rain at the start of the day as well on race day, but then it, it stopped as the race started and the track just dried out and it just didn't end up being as exciting as everyone was hoping it was going to be. At least Danny Rick, the Aussie, did finish in eighth position in the Renault, which is good. He did nurse that car all the way to eighth, which is nice to see. He's slowly improving. Um, hopefully he'll he'll keep building up. I did see, though, uh, Renault launched a, another protest against Racing Point, which we discussed on the show last week. Um, so that seems like that's something that they're kind of going to keep pushing until they get a result 
Yeah, it's it's very interesting because again, Racing Point last year were at the bottom of the pack. They weren't competing for anything. They were just, you know, really bad. And then all of a sudden, the owner of Racing Point um, actually poured all of his money into the team to essentially copy the Mercedes car. And because they do have the Mercedes power um, engine as well, so it obviously has shown to be more impressive with Racing Point, you know, starting the race uh, on uh, the second row and then finishing in fourth position as well. So I can see why Renault have appealed because they it's essentially a Mercedes car anyway. So one of the other things out of this race was Lewis Hamilton uh, called out some of the drivers for not taking uh, Black Lives Matter protests seriously. Um, we saw, particularly from the last Grand Prix, um, all the players, t- uh, drivers take a knee before the race and wear uh, protest T-shirts with, um, in an effort to end racism and take a bit of a stand on the movement that's sort of sweeping the globe. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on this? Of course, we've seen the Black Lives Matter movement kind of be around for a little while now and it's sort of starting to taper out in some sports and it seems like it is in F1. Um, do you think this is something that should be uh, pushed to continue um, or is it kind of up to each driver sort of whether they want to participate? I know Hamilton's sort of indicating that he thinks everyone really needs to jump on board. I think it's definitely something that we shouldn't forget about and I think he's coming from the point that he doesn't want people to, to become complacent and then forget about everything that's happening as well. I think it's definitely something that the drivers need to keep on their mind and keep advocating for and not forget about. So I think that's where he's coming from. But I think the way he went about it, he was just blasting everybody. He went to the, not not to the extreme, but he went a bit over, not over the top, but he just went out of his way to make sure everybody knew that this still needs to be a thing. Yeah, I think that, yeah, he coming out and saying it was a good thing. I mean, everyone does have their own, like, belief, but I don't think it's really going to put any of the drivers out by supporting the Black Lives Matter when they're racing. So I think, yeah, coming out and saying it is definitely a good thing just to make sure we keep the movement going. So the next Grand Prix is the British Grand Prix at the Silverstone Circuit on Sunday, August 2. Um So that is where we can wait and see if Ricardo can improve from his eighth position. Yes, so it will be a a back-to-back race over in Silverstone. And unfortunately for everybody, Hamilton hasn't lost there in a very long time. So it'll be interesting to see what happens again now. On FM, on DAB Plus, and streaming online at sin.org.au. This is Sin. We young people run the show. So moving on to our last segment of the day and keeping with our last episodes, we are going to explore another weird sport of the world. So this week we have come across what is arguably one of our favorites, I reckon. I don't know if it competes with toe wrestling, but it's quite up there. It is the competitive slapping tournament over in Siberia. What do you guys think of competitive slapping? This is one I have absolutely never heard of before. Um, It is exactly what it sounds like. Two people stand um, on either side of like a box slash table kind of thing. 
and just take turns to slap each other in the face until someone wins, um, until someone either like chooses to drop out or or even gets knocked out. Um, one thing that particularly surprises me about this sport is the kind of etiquette and politeness to it, which sort of seems to contradict the the slapping. Yeah, so I guess you can't, you, you sort of have to stand there and just wait to be slapped, if that makes sense. Like from what we've seen in the photos and the videos, once you get slapped, you just got to stand there and just wait politely. You can't, you know, move around or do anything. Everyone just seems to just stand there, wait politely, get slapped in the face, and then it's their turn to slap somebody else in the face. Yeah, and I'm looking at the photo of the Russian champion known as Dumpling. He seems like you wouldn't really want to cross him. What are your thoughts on Dumpling, guys? I think it's one of my favourite nicknames ever. Yeah, he looks um, very impressive. There's videos of him competing. Um, and I tell you what, watching those, it's it's not something I would want to get involved in, um, particularly taking on Dumpling. And even, yeah. f- sorry, I was say, even for the prize money as well, it is a whopping 30,000 Russian ruble, which is, I want to say, I think it's around 600 Australian dollars. So it's not actually worth that much money in terms of what you win from competitive eating and other stuff that we've explored as well. Yeah, well, $600, it is, I was going to say it's better than a slap in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was bad. Um, yeah, no, I definitely wouldn't do it for $600. No, I don't think I'd do it for 600 bucks. I would not win. I reckon I'd lose a tooth or something and it'd just be shocking. So apparently it's quite a big thing. It's a part of a big, um, the Siberian Power Show. So they have bodybuilding, powerlifting, dance-offs and dumpling eating and competitive slapping, which feels like an odd collection of um, sports to have. But that's apparently, that's the big show and that's where you go if you, if you want to get into competitive slapping. I definitely know when this is all over, that is one of the first sports I'm travelling across the world to go see. <laughs> yeah, I reckon it'd be quite intense, like the camaraderie and everything. Like, you know, you're just hearing all these slaps and these people going for it. I reckon it'd be really exciting. I've also seen that I think some um, slappers put chalk on their hand and is that just for show when you slap someone, the powder goes everywhere or is it to, to not stick to the face or I don't know. This is kind of odd. So hard that it's hurting their hand and the chalk's protecting that. Ah, like, okay. cause that's what weightlifters use. Cause they get like calluses. Maybe they're getting calluses from oh, how hard. Wow. Yeah. Like the force of just slapping somebody across the face, yeah. get blisters. It's definitely an intense sport. Um, and not one to try at home. This is a, a professional competitive sport. And of course, we don't condone any violence. But if you, if you want to take this up professionally, then, then that's okay. I think it's something I will try once in my life. I will get knocked out and I'll never do it again. That's all we have time for today. What a sport to end on again. Uh, if anyone has any suggestions, I reckon uh, definitely send them in. We need more suggestions for weed sports. Absolutely. Um, you'll be able to find us on Instagram and Facebook. Um, so you can send us a message there with any suggestions you have for weed sports for us to chat about. Or if you want to just let us know anything else about the show. We have, of course, covered heaps of sports, um, covered all the footy, some tennis, some cricket, some soccer, netball and the Grand Prix um so heaps to chat about there and we'll be back to cover it all again next week um 
thanks guys for today's show it's been fun as always it's been great again and another great sport to end on i love it so you've been listening to the sports desk on sin on your wednesday i'm april i've been with tom and kendra and we'll be back next wednesday morning sin we're young people run the show